So coach, how did strength coaching find you? Uh, the game of football, you know, it's just, it, it brought the best out of me with the stuff that required not playing football. You know, it's just all the workouts you got to do year round, all the, all the visions you have for setting goals with yourself and hoping to reach those one day. But I mean, honestly, the work that goes into football is, I mean, I think exactly who I was supposed to be. And before you even get to kickoff, that's the best part of the game for me. And all the work that goes into trying to achieve something with a team, just a lot of fun. So that's why I think it found me. Now, have you been to Georgia for a couple of years or where were you before that? Um, so I was, I've been here for two and a half years, but I've kind of been everywhere. You know, Buffalo was, I was the head guy at Buffalo before this. And then I was the head guy at Louisiana Lafayette before that. And then head guy at North Texas before that. Um, I was an assistant at Michigan for three years and assistant at Mississippi state and an assistant at Georgia tech actually 11 years ago and a GA at Mississippi state an intern at South Florida an intern at Virginia. So kind of seen a lot of places real quick, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a, obviously the coaching staff is important with the on-field stuff, but, but really it's the strength coaches that's probably spend more time with the players than even the coaching staff does because you guys are with the players all off season all year basically um and and probably outside of the head coach you guys have a a better idea of what the the pulse on the team is than probably most right oh yeah that's the i mean we're the we're the culture setters you know i think if you don't have a great culture you probably don't have a great strength coach and that's that's the truth because you're with them all time you don't have time off you get maybe a couple weeks in may when everyone's not here anyways but that's it. You're at every practice. You're at every team meeting. You're at all the post game stuff. You're at all the pregame stuff. You're at every workout. It's, it never ends. So you completely have the pulse of the whole thing. You, you have a different relationship with every kid on the team. And that's another thing I love that, you know, it just, you have a, you have such a sense of how it is every day. And if, if kids are underachieving, you can sniff that out real quick too, because you know them so well. So I, that that's a great part. And how do you, as a strength coach, figure out which players need what type of motivation in the moment to perform better? So for some play, for some players, maybe they perform best when they're a little angry, and, and the coach is like coming down harder on them. But that's okay because you know, and the player knows deep down that's what they need to get going. Whereas other guys maybe need a pat on the shoulder, or maybe the same guy needs two different approaches during two different times during the season. So how do you kind of figure out how each guy ticks well the interview is the most important thing i do probably and it's just before i get going with any player that's new or if i'm the new guy i gotta interview the whole team it's just asking them questions about their life and figuring out you know what buttons that i'm gonna have to push with certain kids some kids lost a lot of loved ones some kids are they don't have the best home life some kids um they tell you a lot of stories with the tattoos they have on their body because they, you know, have so much meaningful things that happened. So if I don't ask that stuff, I'll never know. And then you got to figure out who's the best coach they've ever had and why. Who's the worst coach they've ever had? What's some of the biggest obstacles they've had to overcome? With all that stuff typed up on a file that you always have, you can always go back to it if you forget. So I think if you notice some bad body language with some guys or – if you notice a coach got on him a little worse than others that day, 
I mean, you got your phone later on that afternoon to encourage them again, but you got to be intentional about it or it's just not going to happen. You can walk right by a lot of things as a coach if you want, but you don't have to as well. Like the, they say, the easiest things to do are also the easiest things not to do. So it's easy to walk by a lot of issues, but as a coach or as a difference maker, you don't have to, you shouldn't do that. So I, I think there's a lot of buttons you can press with guys, but you got to know them and you got to know their heart to inspire their heart. Hmm. No, it's a good point. The easiest things to do are the easiest things not to do. And and that's like, I think about after you finish up with football, I think back to, I played D- division three. It wasn't really, you know, we weren't too good, but you don't really remember the scoreboard a lot, but you definitely remember your relationships with your coaches and, and really like as a strength coach, you're, you're not, yeah, the weights are what gets you in the room and it gets you the job, but really what you're doing is you're, you're wearing so many different hats, I guess, as a strength coach. Um, can you describe some of your unofficial roles as it, like on paper, obviously you're the, the strength coach, but what are some of the other, uh, hats that you might wear while being a strength coach? You're the role model. You're the message. You're the you're the guy they look up to. I mean, if if you're saying all this stuff to these kids every day and you're not the message yourself, they're not going to buy in. And if they sniff any type of hypocrisy, it's not going to work. So, like, I've, you know, just to earn their trust, I've just done their workout before they do it every day. It's just the easiest way to do that. And speak about, you know, when they're going to hit that wall and coach them through that and like it, it just gives you such great insight on how to get through to them in the right moments. It's like, it's so easy to say things after the fact or so easy to say things before the fact, but if you haven't felt it, if you haven't gone through it, it's much harder as a coach to really get through to them. So I found that to be very helpful. And, um, I think that earns trust very quick with the guys. And at, you know, another thing that you wear a hat on is you're a constant psychiatrist. You know, if kids are going through something, like your door is a constant revolving door of problems. You know, if, if kids have issues, they're coming to you. And, and that's a good thing. And that's what I want. But you also have to have a lot of perspective and not overstep your bounds. And and you got to be careful with what you say to certain people. And it's just, it's a fine line of being a good mentor, a good role model, and almost like a father figure to a lot too. So um, yeah, it's a lot, but that's why you do it. I wouldn't do it if it was just about strength and conditioning. It's about the players and helping them get to where they want to be one day. Right. Yeah. And I think too, we can get caught up as maybe student athletes and recruits in, Oh, I'm going to play for this head coach. I'm going to go play for this team with this cool logo. But I think, look at the, look at the strength program. Look at who the strength coaches are, because that's where you're going to be spending 80% of your time. Yep. Um, you have this uh, post or this quote, lazy people do a little work and think they should be winning, but winners work as hard as possible and still worry if they're being lazy. Can you kind of describe where that comes from or where you got, where does that quote come from? Yeah. I just think a lot of people do things that are required of them and they think that's going to be enough. And I noticed the really successful people, do so much more than what's required of them. And they still think about if they've done enough. And that's always stuck with me. Like I always, I don't know, I've always studied the greats and I've always watched and, you know, learned from afar. But I mean, putting it in that way really wakes people up because if you're not paranoid about your work ethic constantly, someone's going to pass you. 
or if you're not constantly thinking about a different way to get better, someone's going to find a way above you. And I just think there's so many people that just want the instant result or the, the notification or the, the achievements without really sacrificing or disciplining that much to achieve anything. But they want to be special, but they, they don't want the work that goes with that. So I think that's where it came from. And I think there's a misconception about paranoia. I mean, obviously you want, we have like a, a bad connotation to that word, but um, and you want players to relax to a certain extent because if you don't know how to turn the switch off once in a while, you'll definitely burn out. Um, right. But I think young college athletes forget that, you know, you can go through the recruiting process, which is a, an ordeal in and of itself. But, you know, the second you're on the team, there's a whole staff, there's a whole recruiting staff looking for the next guy up. Um, and if you don't continually work out with that edge that got you to where you were, somebody will come and somebody might f- become a better fit for you. Right. Yep. Um, can you discuss a little bit about maybe what are some of the, what's the biggest difference between a college lifting program versus a high school lifting program? Um, just more space and probably dealing with better numbered groups. I think high schools struggle a lot with limited space with a ton of with a ton of people to get through there and it's got to be extremely organized to get anything in college you kind of got a better schedule during the day with their class schedules and the group size and the group and the size of your weight room where it's more structured and it's more it's just easier to flow you know that's number one probably number two is just the details of it you know the thought behind it because a lot of strength coaches in high school are football coaches and they just got to check the box. Not saying all of them do that. Some of them do an amazing job, but I'd say the majority, it's more of a, Hey, let's look at what they're doing so we can get our guys on that. It's not really research. It's not really science based. It's not, there's no backing of it. It's just that what someone else does. So if they're going to power clean, I think we should power clean. That's kind of the philosophies at least when I was in high school, that's kind of what it was. And I think college is just like, you got professionals that have a job to do. And if they don't do it, they're fired. So you got to get the most out of the kids and you're not a football coach and you have a sole responsibility to get these kids better and keep them healthy. I think that's probably the biggest transition part from college because not only are you lifting, but you're like half, half the time you're, getting the kids just back on the field recovered. So um, that's probably the biggest difference. And do you, do you see maybe um, what are maybe some of the biggest struggles that your new freshmen go through when they're getting used to your strength program at Georgia tech versus what they used to do in high school or or maybe on their own? Um, You mean like deficiencies? Yeah, maybe what are some physical deficiencies and then maybe in terms of, of habits and, and the intensity yeah. of the workouts? I'd say the biggest issue has always been conditioning. I think that's the number one thing that guys kind of forget about because they might be strong and tough or whatever. And as soon as they get their hand down in the line with the team for the first time, they get exposed because they're out of breath on the first couple sprints. So I think that's the biggest eye-opener for guys that come out of high school if they can breathe really well if they can be in great shape i think they'll turn a lot of heads and i think they'll 
really start to make strides early on. But if they show up out of shape and it's very hard for them, it's not going to go well at first for them. It's just going to be like dreadful. So um, another thing that I think guys lack is the perspective piece. You know, I think a lot of guys don't have a lot of good people around them and I'm not like there's a lot of people that get to this level just based on talent, not anyone really pouring into their life in a positive way. So I think decisions early on in your college career, you got to be careful because you get out in that city, especially with us, and you don't have like any perspective and you just go out in Atlanta your first couple weekends here. So that gets dangerous. I think the mentorship piece is huge. And like my high school coach was such a difference maker for me. And that's why I, I like talking about that because I truly believe there's a big difference between a coach and a difference maker and the people that are there for you, the people that are there for you, no matter what you go through are the ones that you want to hang on to forever. How did your high school coach impact you? If, if you don't mind, do you have like a, a story that you yeah. want to share there? Yeah. He's, he just had that quiet presence. Like, you would feel so bad if you let him down and he didn't have to really say much to you. It was just a look he gave you because you respected him so much and he poured so much into us. So it was like, if we didn't give that back to him, we kind of, what were we doing? That's how we felt. And, and you could tell his whole life was dedicated for that team. And I mean, I remember, I remember the one time he yelled at us at halftime and we were down 27 to three and he threw his clipboard and we've never seen him snap like that. And then he just, he just had so much belief in us and was so frustrated watching us be almost intimidated by this team. And once we saw him like pour his soul into all of us at halftime, we went out and beat that team 30 to 27. It was crazy. And, but even 17 years later, after I graduated, he's, he's still unlocking the high school weight room for me to go work out every morning and he stays in there with me and just talks to me and like i don't know many people like that so mm, I, there's a good quote um i don't know if you ever read any of bob goff's book books but uh i think it was uh, above all else a, a friend is present or a coach is present and i think sometimes we can get maybe as coaches you got to think you have to do these crazy things to impress your players or to get a cool tweet out there or something like that but but really, it's it's like what you said earlier on in the conversation. It's those mundane, very easy things. Like your your high school coach probably didn't feel like he was doing anything very special, but right. But to you, it meant the world that you had somebody who would listen to you and ask you questions and was just generally interested. Yep. Um, now, do you have any? And I'm I'm always curious about this. Do you? What maybe are some of the personality characteristics of your best performers? in the weight room they just can't get enough like they we're going to do the workout we're going to be there early we're going to get the most out of the guys on our rack no matter who's with us we're going to stay late we're going to do a lot of extra work on our own we're going to go watch film we're going to go eat and hydrate and get in the hot tub and cold tub i mean then they come back it's just that they come back later it's they do all this prehab and rehab stuff and they're pros well before they're pros and those are the best guys that those are the habits they have and they're called starving you know it's <laughs> some guys are satisfied some guys are hungry and then there's some guys that are starving the starving guys all have the same thing and they 
they just can't get enough. They'll be here early Saturday when we open up for optional workouts and they're the first ones in. So I'll just say it's back to that lazy people do a little work quote. And the winners always worry if they're doing enough and they're obviously they're doing a lot more than everyone else, but they're still worried about it. Hmm. So, and, and do you think that you're, and I'm always curious, do you think your best leaders are maybe your, are, are your most talented players or like, does a player have to be super talented on the field or in the weight room to be one of your better leaders in the weight room? No, it's, I mean, some of the best workers we have are walk-ons, you know, it's like they're completely driven and what, you know, they're trying to prove themselves even harder than some of the scholarship kids. Um, now we've caught up with that here where like, there's so many good scholarship players right now that love working so hard. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of walk-ons that I absolutely love to death because they're paying their way. They're going through all this stuff the guys are going through and then they got to go work. I mean, it's, it's a whole nother animal outside of here. And then they're still doing extra. It's, it's very impressive. There's a, I'll have to find the book. Maybe I can email it to you, but there's a, a book title about some guy who walked on to a, a big FBS school. And there's a, one of the first chapters was make, make them throw you out of the weight room <laughs> because, yep. because that's really one of the, the few places available to a walk on to try to make up some ground. Yeah, that's so true. Yep. Um, so you have this, uh, another video on, on your, on your Twitter and it says work like you're on a one day contract. Can you explain your, your philosophy there? Yeah, like I I hear people like talk about getting a multi-year contract one day or, or I'm going to, you know, set my family up or whatever. If you want a multi-year contract one day, I hope you're working like you're on a one-day contract right now because like, <laughs> and I always say like, just imagine if you were going to be hired or fired at the end of every day. Hmm. So, so if that's the case, why do you have to step your game up when a situation like that happens? Why isn't it always like that? Why does someone have to tell you to be great? You know, it's, and then you just go on and on about potential and how scary it is. Like, just look, potential is very scary because you don't have to do anything with it, but you can do a lot with it too. So it's scary because of what you might do the other way or that way. So, um, I think when you admit your potential, it gets dangerous and you can do so much more than you're probably doing right now. Hmm. So that, that's a huge piece for me. I always try to make the guys understand that, that it's just a one day contract. Hopefully you get hired at the end of the day. Yeah. That's a great perspective too. And what, what do you think is the difference? And I, I think about your conditioning drills and, um, you know, there's always that moment during a tough conditioning day when it's like there's one guy or two guys that are dogging it out of the whole group and they're they're one blade of turf short from touching the line. What is, and, <laughs> and you know, that's that there's probably gotta be nothing more irksome that gets under your skin as a coach than, than probably that or, or the players around you. What what do you think is the difference between a guy who goes two yards over the line and one blade of turf short of the line? You know, I understand when things happen, you know, people make mistakes, but like 
the thing that bothers me the most as a coach is when guys don't see that that's very important. Like they don't really care that they miss the line by half an inch. That's where you got to come in and teach them because obviously you could go on and on about the wins and losses and the details win and the details lose, you know, but it's just the compound interest piece that everyone forgets about. Like, okay, I'm going to let that slide. All right. Then you're late to the lift. Uh, I'm going to let that slide. Okay. Then I'll see you get a D in that class. I'm going to let that slide. You're still there. You're still like passing. You're still, you're still there, but you are a very big problem all of a sudden. And now it's starting to add up. Hmm. Like the, the same guy that doesn't touch the line is the same guy that misses class. Same guy that misses class is the same guy that jumps off sides on third down. Same guy that th- jumps off sides on third down is the same guy that doesn't clap in the warm-up when everyone's clapping. Same guy that skips reps when the coach isn't watching. The same guy that parties after a loss. It's like everything in my mind goes together with that little bit. Hmm. And that's... I try my best to teach that lesson all the time because it's so important. Hmm. Yeah. And and that's, and that's tough too, as a coach, because I think coaches by nature are optimists, you know, you wouldn't work with young people. Um, if you didn't always try to see the best in them, but at some point you have, you have not everybody will want to hear or learn from your message while you're their coach, but maybe 10 years later, they'll get in touch with you. And even if they didn't listen to you in the moment, they still might come back to you and say, Hey, that thing you were trying to teach me when I was 17, like I get it now. Um, how do you kind of navigate or, or what is that process like in for you realizing that like, maybe you can't quote unquote save every player or, or reach every player in the way you would like them to be reached in the time frame that you have them. Yeah, so so early on, like when I was a head guy at North Texas, that was hard for me, like not being able to get through to a couple guys and them not really buying into the program that I was running and, you know, giving a bunch of attitude and like defensive. And it was like so frustrating for me. I lost so much sleep. I, I didn't handle that well, you know, and, and now, you know, Look, and no one's going to love everything you say, everything you do, all this. And no one's ever going to be 100% locked in and happy every day. But I think the guys that struggle, it is your responsibility at a, at a certain capacity because you can't give up on a kid. You got it. So, like I, I always say, like, it's not in your job description to give up on a kid as a coach. And you got to try everything you can. And then if that doesn't work, you got to get someone else. And if that doesn't work, you got to send him to talk to a specialist. And then if that doesn't work, look, the kid's going to make his own bed, but it's not because you gave up on him. Hmm. That's not whatever's going to get him out of the program. Isn't because you gave up on him. Hmm. That's a good point. That's uh that kind of echoes what uh, coach John Mosley was saying. He was one of the basketball coaches for last chance. You and, his line was, you know, if, if you're going to leave the team, it won't, it won't be because I gave up on you. Right. Um, but I think also too, that you do lose some sleep sometimes because there are those every year you get a couple players that you're like, man, there, there's gotta be a way to crack through. Yep. I know. And they're, they're, you know, it helps when you know the kid very well, but I mean, normally a conversation settles everything. Mm-hmm. 
like if you just let him speak to you and not really try to, you know, put anything on him, it, normally kids open up. But if they don't and they still just have a defensive attitude, you just got to keep trying and in a positive way. Don't get defensive back because it's not personal and just see what we can do with the kid. You, uh, you're very reflective. Um, I'm curious, do you have any type of reflective practices that you do? Like, so for example, some, some coaches journal, some coaches pray, some coaches, um, you know, they're big readers. I, I'm curious, like you, you wouldn't have such, cl- you speak with a lot of clarity and clarity usually comes from reflection. Yeah. Um, so like when I was at, when I was at Michigan as an assistant, it's kind of a funny story, but if kids got in trouble, they had to do like such a long punishment and I would be so bored just watching it. So I would, I had this hobby of just writing quotes down that I would come up with. Like I would think about certain concepts that are kind of common, but then twist them in a way that no one's ever heard before. And I've tried to keep that going for a very long time. And now, um, like I'm, I'm trying to write a book and it's like, it's almost done, but it's not at all because I don't have an editor yet. So it's just a message a day and it's like a page a day for Hmm. the whole year. And I just, I love writing messages down because it's a coaching arsenal. If you have like a, uh, the template of your workout that day always has a space for the message of the day. And I've just never not had that as a head strength coach because I think it's that important. Hmm. Yeah. I, I had an English professor once who told me, how will I know what I think until I see what I write? Right. And and for me, that's always, I'm, I'm a big journaler and uh, actually quite a few uh, coaches and athletes I've had on here are, are journalers, but it's just there's just something about writing, whether you're typing or handwriting, that kind of kind of slows you down. It takes all those different streams of thought and kind of compresses it into one stream for at least a little bit. Yep. Um, and do you have any like favorite books that you've come across in terms of like leadership or growth or do you, oh, have, any, yeah. do you have any? Oh, that's awesome! So we got I got all day for book recommendations, but, but what, <laughs> what are what, what's what's Coach uh, Corolla's you know top book recommendations for listeners? Oh. So I was at Michigan and I got to spend some time with David Goggins. And oh man, he's awesome. So, yeah, he was, he's always been awesome and social media found him and then I couldn't get a hold of him anymore. But he, <laughs> so his book obviously, um, can't hurt me is probably amazing. And I love John Maxwell so much. I, all his books are just so incredible to me. Um, I love Mark Batterson. He writes a lot of great books. Like my favorite book probably is um, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. It's by Mark Batterson. And then he got a caught. I kind of got hooked on all his books. So I kind of buy them every time they come out. What's the, if you could sum up in one sentence, the, the lesson of that book, what would don't, it be? Don't fear your dreams and run right at it because it's going to be like a lion in a pit on a snowy day and you got to conquer it. And it's just like a biblical thing that's pretty powerful, I think. Hmm. Um, John Gordon's amazing. He's got so many. Um, I just bought Tim Grover's book, Winning. It's amazing. Uh, man, I'm trying to... Oh, um, 
this is a book I read a long time ago, like Raising a Modern Day Knight. Um, let me think who wrote that, though. It's about raising your son. And I got to remember who wrote it, though. I'll get back to you on that. I'm not sure. Gotcha. But, you know, Ryan Holiday is awesome with his obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy. And I try to I try to keep up, but I'm better at listening to podcasts. And right. So, obviously, the I listen to Inky's podcast and Eric Thomas's podcast and Ed Milet and Joel Osteen and John Maxwell and John Gordon. Gotcha. So, so you got like a whole personal development arsenal there. Oh yeah, I call my car like Car University. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I'm driving in, I'm learning. Yeah, I got to be careful. I got a ton of books in my house too, and I'm, I'm afraid one day my wife is just going to box them all up and, and sell them on Amazon. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, th- I think, and I want to go back to that book, raising a, a modern, uh, a modern day night. Now, do you have children yourself? Yeah, I have three. Gotcha. And then, you know, how has being a father impacted your, your coaching? Uh, in every way. Cause like, I'll never forget when I had my son and he was our first child and just feeling that feeling of like your life just changed forever and how much love you have in your heart for your baby and how you're responsible for its life. And then I th- kept thinking about coaching and I'm like, there's, there's a hundred of those coming in tomorrow hmm. and I'm responsible for all of them. And someone feels that way about every one of them, the way I feel about my son. So like, it, I don't know if you can feel that until you have one. And right. when I, when I did, it just, it made me look at the guys different. It made me feel a certain way and making sure that I'm even more safe than ever, you know, because safety is number one. Right. I remember being a first year teacher in high school in uh, New Haven in the city over here. And, you know, you try to tell parents the, it's funny that most of the parents wanted to know, like if I had kids, because, you know, who, who are you to, yeah, you say you kind of get it, but until you have your own kid, it's hard to, it's hard to see my son, through my eyes if you yourself don't have a kid and you're just seeing him goofing off in class and right um it, it definitely changes the perspective and i think too like parents and the parents kind of get a bad rap these days because you have a couple helicopter parents and there are some nutty ones out there for sure i'm sure but you know by and large parents are kind of in a bind you know you're trying to give your kid enough slack to be their own person but at the same time you know that they don't know what they don't know and even though they look like they're 25 and age 15, they're always going to look like they're five months old through your eyes. Yep. Um, and, you know, I, I, obviously you're more on the strength and conditioning side of things, but what might be some of your, what might be a piece of advice you would have for parents or, or players listening uh, on the recruiting process? I think, you know, you're going to go where your heart feels right and trust that because sometimes kids try so hard to go to the biggest place so they look the coolest when in reality they end up transferring because they can't stand it after they're there for a year so i think you know even me you know i it's on a smaller scale i went to west virginia wesleyan to play college football i had a scholarship to go and 
everything was great. Division two. And I was happy. I was going to go play quarterback and all that, you know, but you know, I got there and there was eight quarterbacks and I knew I knew I wasn't going to play quarterback. So I tried to play slot receiver and then I played running back and then I found running back. So a lot of adversity happened. A lot of stuff happened. Then, you know, I had this other school I was thinking about going to in general in the first place anyway, because my heart was kind of there. And I ended up going there at the end and I had so much fun and I have my best friends that I still have to this day. You know, even my head coach is in our group text every day from that school I transferred to that I was going to go to before I made that decision. I just made it for status. You know, I made that decision on status and um, ended up having the most fun on the other school. So I think go with your heart and don't look back because you're going to go with the right people, not so much the right facilities. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. And I guess this kind of ties into the next question is, you know, on social media, every it seems like the recruits are just they're almost more eager sometimes to post that they've gotten an offer yeah and and they think all about the wording on that you know they put so much time into crafting that perfect offer post or the the decommitment post that's that's fun to to watch these days too with their transfer portal but um that they kind of lose sight of the fact that hey this isn't about four years this is about the next four five decades with with where you're trying to go um how have you seen social media kind of change and, and impact college football recruiting in the years that you've coached how's it changed yeah um I'm, I'm very happy social media didn't exist when i played like i i can't imagine the constant pressure of the players now of feeling like they're accepted by society because of their phone like it's it's got to be just a completely different world. Like we, I don't even have a huddle account. Like there wasn't like, <laughs> there wasn't this stuff that. that you could just post about yourself and then get a look. Like you had to, I had to go to a recruiting fair at a gym that, you know, a bunch of schools came down and now this was D two and D three, but like it wasn't a thought to like publicly try so hard and constantly be thinking about how you're going to get there. And, like there's so many, like I have so many inbox uh, messages about just recruits. Hmm. Like, hey coach, look at my film. Hey coach, look at my film. Hey, check me out. And like I feel for them, and it's it, it's just the way things are now. But man, I just think it's uh, it's one of those things that there's nothing you can do about it. You got to keep trying because that's the way of the world and. At the same time, with all this fake stuff out there, you got to find the right fit for you or else it's just not going to work. You can try and you can be unhappy for four years, but if something doesn't feel right, it's not going to feel right when you're there. So they just got to they got to make those choices and be smart. Yeah, I remember even like 10, 15, no, 15 years ago now, wow, when I was going through college football recruiting, it I think we were still doing DVDs back then and you had to go drop the DVD off. You had to mail it in. Um, I, I think I just got a handshake and a pat on the back in March. And then the coach said, yes, see August 10th or something like that. And that was really it. Um, you know, today it's this whole big Twitter storm and Twitter's cool. Cause you know, obviously that's how we connected, but 
it's it's like the greatest and, and worst thing that ever happened to mankind sometimes yeah yep um well hey coach well, i want to be cognizant of your time um what would be one piece of advice um you would have wished you had given yourself when you first started coaching knowing what you know now um that's a tough one um i think i would just say early on as a head guy just the kids that don't want to buy in right away don't sweat it like don't don't make your whole day about them don't make the whole team feel your frustration that are doing everything right about the ones that you can't get through to so um that was the biggest that was the biggest challenge for me early on it was it was hard and i'm so happy i went through it but if i could give advice i would just say don't spend as much time on the bottom five percent worry about the 95 that got their eyes on you and are locked in so hmm. that's a great that's a great um way to look at it there's i don't know if you know of the cut the book called crossing the chasm by jeff moore but it's basically in in the late 80s these tech guys in silicon valley were trying to figure out you know how do we sell apple products and basically it's like a bell curve what they found was on the way left of the bell curve that like the the top five percent of people that would go these are the people that would camp out outside an apple store just to, for the privilege of buying something new because they wanted it so those are called your you know your uh, your true fans. And then you have like the next third, those are your, um, you know, your early adopters. And then there's the kids, the guys in the middle 60% that'll kind of go wherever the crowd goes. And then you have the outliers on the other side that just, you know, your grandfather with a flip phone, he'll never buy it. And I think about too, like the composition of teams are kind of like that too. You know, you got to figure out who your early adopters are for your lifting program, who are your culture guys that you can trust. If I can get this one guy on board, that you know he'll pull in another 20 guys that are just looking to be led um does that do you i guess when you're looking at the composition and the culture of your room do does that do you make calculations like that at all like hey this guy is a natural leader if we can get him on board with the program he'll draw in like 10 or 20 other guys yeah and a lot of the times you got to find the negative guy that brings everyone with him Mm. and flip him because that's your culture in the locker room. Like you can say what you want after the lifts and the runs. And once they go back to that locker room, it's being run by the negativity, not the positivity. So if you can find the kingpin of all of it, and normally they're good players, um, you you just gotta, you gotta find a way to their heart and you gotta have more one-on-one time with them and just give them more opportunities to lead in front of the group. And you gotta be very intentional about that. So yeah, Absolutely. That's like the 80, 20 rule where I like find the, find the 20% of guys that control 80% of your culture and, and, and put some of your, your effort there. Um, yep. so yeah, before we go, I got to ask you, do you have, you want to leave us with like two or three quotes you're working on? Um, yeah. So, so Mark Batterson, I'll give him credit on this quote. He, uh, he said, mismanaged success is the leading cause of failure and well-managed failure is the leading cause of success. And that's one of my favorite quotes. And he's one of my favorite authors too. But like when I read that, it so much 
hit me at once because there's so many kids that wish for success, but when they get it, they're not ready. Hmm. And like I told the guys today, like Tony Robichaud, the great baseball coach of Louisiana Lafayette, he he told me one time, he said, make sure your players don't become rich in cash and bankrupt in Christ. Hmm. And I just think so many guys want, 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 want without work, 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 work. So when they get it and they're shocked, they can't keep it. So they don't handle success right. They're not ready for it. And then all the guys that hit Brock Bottom at some point and just keep bouncing back and keep trying and keep working, those guys stay successful over the long haul because mm-hmm. they know what it's like. They tasted the worst. And I think that's a huge piece of advice just for anyone. Awesome. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking time to chat and, and we'll – 